Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. It is the number one statement said by everybody who got caught doing something wrong. You giggle because you know it's true. It's not that big of a deal because it's not that big of a deal. You don't understand that test was so hard and I was taking it and I just had to cheat a little bit because my teacher hates me because, you know, all teachers hate all their students, right? That's why they got into teaching. And so it's not that big of a deal, mom. It's, not, it's just a couple of questions. It's not that big of a deal. Or how about that time when you call into sick because you deserve the time off and you ask to have the day off? And your boss said, you can't have the day off, so you call in sick because you got tickets to the state fair. And it's not that big of a deal because you work hard. You're a hard worker, and you deserve to have some time. It's PTO, personal time off. And so I call in sick because it's not that big of a deal. God, you know, I've been married a long time, and, you know, I just, my spouse doesn't really talk to me the way that he used to. And so I just started this little side relationship at work, just a, just a really deep friendship. And I know I'm not really supposed to do that, but you don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, my spouse doesn't listen to me. And because my spouse doesn't hear me, I've got someone at work who cares about me and, it, and my needs are filled. And it's really not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal is something in which we say when we know that something is off. Because we know it's a deal, but we say it's not that big of a deal to try to now create our rank order of what's good and what is bad. We try to justify what we're doing in our life. So if you have ever said it's not that big of a deal and you did something wrong, I want you to please raise your hand. Now, just raise your hand. Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand, uh, you just lied, and it's a big deal. <laughs> so now everybody here can raise their hand, right? We've all done it. Like in some form factor, we, we want to justify something because we want to create a system and a list of what we feel is okay and not okay. And we want to have this gray area in our lives where we know what's not exactly right, but we can smudge things just a little bit, and we, we then say it's not that big of a deal because we put that really high in the list of that's not, you know, it's not a big deal to me and it's not a big deal to others. So it's only a bit of a little bit of a bad thing. The problem with your list is that it's screwed up. Your list exists inside of your head, and you've decided to make a list of what you feel is right or wrong. If you're the person who calls in sick when you aren't supposed to be off, what do you think your coworker who now has to work double time feels because you're at the state fair enjoying a huge cream puff and they have to stay and work an extra shift? To them, it's a huge deal. But what about that spouse? It's not a big deal because my spouse isn't fulfilling my needs. So I start this side relationship over here. It's not that big of a deal, but that spouse is going to think it's a huge deal. We create our own lists. 
And the problem with your lists, it has nothing to do with God's economy. It has to do with what you feel comfortable in justifying your messed up, screwed up life. Uh, Welcome to Mosaic, everybody, right? So the problem that I'm presenting to you today is not a problem to you. It's a problem to us. We do this. I do this. We all do this. We want to somehow feel better about the problems we've created, the sin that we're doing, or the evil that we're birthing into the world by our mouth or by our actions. And what we're going to explore today is that there is a big deal for everything that is sin. Everything that is sin, everything that is wrong, everything, there is no small and large, everything is sin. Now, before I get into this, and I'm going to go into backstory for you, I want to say this. There are things in our life which have larger consequences. I'm very aware of that, which means uh, if I cheat on a test or if I kill somebody, I understand there's consequences that are involved that look very different and impact looks different. I'm not dumb, right? I understand that. But what I'm going to present to you today is through the word of God, we're going to see something about God's economy and what he thinks about all of sin. All of sin is detestable to God And he never says, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, what we're going to see from the scriptures today is that God says, it is a monstrously huge deal, and it is all of our fault. So if you're just jumping into this, I want to give you a backstory of where we've been. Uh, We're in this series called Genesis. Uh, We started in week one. In the beginning, God was creating, and as he's creating, he's making things, and he says, this is good. I love what this is. And so he's creating and he's making and he's shaping and he's forming in the universe and the stars and the suns. And he's creating an ecosphere that is created in essence to be uh, showing his glory and to bring worship back to him because he is all glorious. And so he's creating all these things. And then he starts making a really cool ecosystem we see in Genesis in which he's creating a place in which the culmination of his creation is made, which are humans. And now the reason we know that this is the culmination of his creation is that a term is given to us that is not given to anything else, which is image bearer. We are created in God's image. And so that doesn't mean physically where God has arms and and hair and things like that. That's not what's being stated. Image bearer in Genesis is referring back to the attributes of God. And these, the image bearers and the attributes have something that's very unique compared to everything else that God gives humans authority over the creation to rule with him, with him. So now we are like children of the living God. We get a piece of the estate that he created and says, you are going to have dominion over all of this and you are going to rule over this and take care of it. You're going to be a caretaker for my creation and you are going to have a special relationship with me. Inside of this, we see in Genesis that humans have this ability that's given to, nothing else is given this ability to actually have moral choice. We have the ability to think, we have the ability to reason and respond. We have the ability to search wisdom and make the best choice where everything else in God's creation responds. It responds to its environment. It responds in instinct. So set apart from creation is humans different from everything else. Why this is important, and before we dig into why this is important in Genesis chapter 6, is that the word image bearer, or being an image bearer of God, gives immediate value to every single 
human. That means at no time can there be racism, at no time can there be sexism, at no time can there be any isms because we are all image bearers. And that's very important because the church has screwed that up for so very long. All humans are image bearers. Now, we're going to find that those choices that we have are going to actually cause a lot of problem and why it makes it hard to see humans that way. But we are image bearers, okay? So, moving on. As image bearers, we see uh, something happen. God is with Adam, and he's with Eve, and they hang out. They are tight. They're walking through the garden. They enjoy each other's company. But then a problem comes. This ability of image bearer now comes where Satan tempts Eve about this tree that's put in the middle of this garden, which God says, don't eat of this tree, knowledge of good and evil. This is a place that you are not to choose to eat. You can have everything in the whole earth, but do not touch this tree. If you're a parent, you're like, yep, that's my kid. Okay, right? You can do anything, but don't do this. And what's your first instinct? It's like, well, what's great about that? And so Eve now comes to this place of this tree in which Satan tempts her and says, asks her a few questions. He said, what did God really say about this? He starts questioning what God said. And then he twists the truth because God said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan says, you're not going to die. You are just going to be like your dad. That's all. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. Doesn't that sound awesome? And so Eve takes his fruit, and it says in the word that it looked good, and she wanted to eat of it, so she takes a bite, eats the apple, or the fruit, takes the fruit, hands it to her husband, he's like, okay. He takes the fruit, he eats the fruit, and then instantly they're covered with guilt and shame. Immediately, the innocence, the perfection, the beauty of which God has created, the image bearer, is now tainted. And so now God says to them, what have you done? And they're like, well, and we talked about this last week. You can catch up on our different podcasts. Uh, now the relationship between Adam and Eve are broken, where he says to Eve, well, Satan told me to eat the fruit, so I ate it. And so she blames him. And Adam says, well, this woman you put here with me made me eat it. So it's her fault. And now God curses Adam and Eve, and it curses the ground. And he curses Satan, and everything now has this curse of sin, which is now becoming this virus that's starting to fill the earth. There was a moment in time in which there was perfection and beauty, and it was good. And in one bite, it turned into corruption. It's not that big of a deal. She just ate of a piece of fruit, right? We eat fruit all the time. It says in the word that she looked at the fruit and it looked good, and maybe she was hungry. God, you don't understand the situation. All that fruit is good, but that fruit looked better. So God, it's not that big of a deal. What did we really do here that caused all this drama over one simple bite of a piece of fruit? You can see it's a huge deal. Because any time in which we engage in disobedience from what we were created to be as image bearers, it's like taking a fish out of water to try to live on land. We don't fit. It is wrong for us, and we're gasping for air as it is killing us. And that's what started the cascade of sin in the world. So now that we're caught up, we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 6 through 9. We're going to go through three chapters today. Hope you guys are ready for a two-hour sermon. So chapter 6 through 9. I'm going to shorten things up and give you uh, some pieces here. As we go through here, it's too much to write, so I'm going to encourage you to use your Bible apps 
um, your Bibles if you have them. Uh, Bible apps that we encourage is version. It's a free version of the Bible. Uh, multiple versions inside of there to read along, and they light up really nice on your phones or iPads there. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 12. Uh, we see something that is now happening. It's no big deal has now turned into the plague of sin. The plague of sin. After Adam and Eve have sinned, God now breaks his relationship and separates himself from them, which we are still in today until Jesus come back, comes back and vanquishes sin. So he now separates himself from them. And between this breaking of what has happened, now relationship, they are now being fruitful and they're multiplying. <clears throat> the problem with multiplication is you multiply what you have. And so now sin is being multiplied in the human race and is getting worse and worse and worse. And we are six chapters into this big book called the Bible and all the wheels are falling off. Chapter 6, verses 5 to 22, it says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. That's a heavy verse. Just process that for a second. I'll read that again. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and, from, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your, wives, your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. To dig back into this, I want you to listen to this again to understand this scenario because all of you who had nurseries that had the really cute ark with the animals that were smiling and the rainbows and the clouds, I'm about to blow up your entire world because that's not the story that is happening here. In our nurseries or even our Sunday school stories, if you have that backstory, we see this story of like where it's kind of cute and kind of fluffy. What this is is judgment on what sin is. Now, we go back to the book of Genesis back in the early part in Genesis 1 through 5, and we find out that when sin comes, the result of sin 
is death. Before that, there, this wasn't here. That wasn't the story for humans. Now death has come. And death is both physical and spiritual death. And so now because we have sinned and sin is now moving on, it's going faster and faster and faster, there's a huge mess. Listen to verse 5 again. Just hear this. It's so important to understand Noah's Ark. It says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. All the time. It's bad in our world today, but because Jesus Christ has come and because he's released the Holy Spirit and because we have God in and among us when we call Christ as Savior, we are still jacked up but our thoughts are not evil all of the time. This was a really, really dark time in human history as humans continually make these choices and these decisions and moral choices to choose evil. Sin's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Look, man, I just killed my brother because he didn't pay me my 50 bucks, but I don't like him anyways. I hate him and I hate his whole family. Smite, 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 kill, kill, kill. And then this guy does it, and then this guy does it, and all of a sudden, all the neighbors are killing each other because we find out that violence is ruling the earth instead of peace. And the darkness that's hanging over all of humanity is so dark that God says, I am so sorry that we made them. But he looks and he finds Noah. Noah is stated to be blameless. He is stated to be righteous. And so here's Noah who just loves God. In the middle of all of this, if you're trying, like Jason, living out my faith is really hard, try being Noah. It was bad, bad, bad. Imagine being Noah turning on the nightly news. Fox 6, 9 o'clock news. Well, we've got more evil in the world today, right? Just evil, death, destruction all of the time. It is so dark and it is so unbelievably terrible. The virus of sin is corrupted everything. And how do you stop a virus? You eradicate it. You have to stop it by eradication. God's perfect, amazing creation is now completely falling apart by us. And there's a big, huge question that's probably looming in your head and looming over everyone's head when I blow up your nursery rhyme story of Noah's Ark. How could a loving God do this? How could a loving God choose to say that there's only one option now, which is to end humanity? God, there isn't a different storyline or something here that you could choose instead of this. Like, why are you choosing, if you loved your creation so much, to wipe it all out? And that's a fantastic question, and I do not know the mind of God, but I'm going to give you a couple of my thoughts that hopefully are generally close. And I, this is really more of questions for us to rethink our narrative. Because we are going to look at our narrative the same way you look at your narrative of your scale of what's not that big of a deal and what's a serious problem. We're taking it from the wrong perspective. From our perspective, because we live in a sin-filled, evil-filled place, we see it differently than God who is holy and righteous and not like us. So we look at it from this perspective. Number one, we do not see sin the way God does. God sees sin completely different. No matter how hard we try, he sees it differently. 
He sees it not only as a bad thing, he sees it as a complete separation and opposite of who he is, being holy and being perfect of who God is, what we have unleashed on the earth is creating a huge problem. And sin in of itself only leads to death. Sin in God's perspective, we can't even get close to know how terrible it is because we look at sin sometimes like, what can I get away with? We look at sin sometimes in our lives like if I don't get caught, it's still okay. We look at sin sometimes as it's not that big of a deal. And we look at sin sometimes like I deserve it. I deserve it. Much like we're on a diet and you want that piece of cake and you're not supposed to eat the cake. You know, like I worked out hard this week. I deserve it. I've been a good guy. I've been a good girl. I've worked, I mean, I'm pretty righteous most of the time. Can't once in a while I just break loose and have a little bit of fun? That's not how God sees sin. God sees sin so different than we do. He sees it as an absolute destruction of his beautiful creation and of his image bearers. Two, another uh, idea to maybe just process about God. God is merciful even in this situation. We're going to look into this story, which is quite fascinating in a lot of ways, where here he says, all of earth, uh, evil's everywhere. I mean, this is so far gone, and evil is so terrible. I grieve that I made it. And God, being a just God, and there's justice here, is getting what they deserve. We all deserve death. And again, sorry for ruining your nursery. This is the truth of Noah's Ark. This is what you deserve, is to die. And Noah, who is also a sinful man, deserved to die. And those animals that he brought onto the ark were part of creation that was corrupted by sin. And so though he, he looks at it this way, he says, all of earth needs to be taken out, but I'm still going to put a few of these people and a few of these animals onto a big, huge ark. Sin is getting on the boat. Sin's on the boat. It's coming with them wherever God is taking them. And so we look at it from a perspective of, oh my word, God, how could you do that? But what we're not looking at is the perspective of why would God allow anyone to get on that boat? Better yet, here's a better question to make you squirm this morning, because I love that. It's my job. Um, would you be getting on the boat? Would you be getting on the boat? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious right now if God said, Jason, take two of all that. Well, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm probably not on the boat either, right? So, so you get on this boat and he says, he, he talks to you. Would he say to you, I have to do this again? Would he ask you in the year 2023 to get on the boat? Would you bring your cute puppies with you? Your kitties? Well, who would, if you're not on the boat, guys, I'm going to say, I don't think any of us are probably on the boat because there's somebody way more righteous and way more blameless in this world than me definitely more than our associate pastor, Nick Jankowski. So we're not, guys, that means we're floating in the water. But isn't that what we deserve? Isn't the life that you lived deserving of death because that's what the word of God says? Why would God be merciful to anybody? We'll get back to that later because we're gonna see the beauty of what God's mercy does for us. 
So this boat is huge. Here's a picture of the boat. Uh, this picture of this boat here is from the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. They have made this replica style of the boat. Um, it's 510 feet long in our measurements. And this is what that would have looked like approximately. They took the, uh, all those stats I gave you and made this to try to give an idea of what that would look like. It is ginormous. It is ginormous. And I love questions that come out of here like, well, how do you fit dinosaurs on there? What about this? Do you tell me how to... Guys, I don't have all those answers. I'm just going with the word of God here in which he says, take these animals and put them on. And so how did they fit all of those animals onto that huge monstrous ark? How did they have enough food for that? That is the aspect of where God is simply amazing. God's simple amazingness in how he has created this the one who's created all the waters and stars and doing all this, I think he can do what he wants. And when he says, make the boat this side by this side with three decks and three tiers, he did exactly what he wanted to do. And the animals that he put on that boat, the ones that he wanted on that boat were on that boat. The families that he put on that boat were on that boat. Interesting enough, Noah's the only one mentioned being righteous and blameless. They didn't talk about his kids at all. Side note. So, they put them on this boat. He seals them into it and says, here's what's going to happen, Noah and fam. All the earth is going to get flooded and you are going to survive. How would you feel? I would be terrified. Is this like a zombie apocalypse type thing? Like where all of like humanity is gone? Like, are you telling me, God, that really everybody is going to be gone? Everybody, like my neighbor, the guy next door who's always like shooting arrows at me, like that guy's gone. And you telling me that you seriously are just going to save these few families, me, my wife, and my three sons and their families are going to be on this. And these two animals are going to come and procreate and they're going to fill the entire world. God, that is intense. We sometimes look at biblical stories as something that's far off, but I love to put it into the movies because I love movies. I want you to picture this. If you're getting this boat and it's sealed, knowing that you're going to be the only humans left on earth, what would you feel? I would be terrified. I would be scared. I would be thankful. I would be, what do I do next? I would have so many questions. Um, how is this going to work? Um, I would have so many questions. And so here these families get into this. This is a real human who went through this. And then we move into the passage, we start to see that it is going to be an intensive story. God does something that isn't simple, it's intense. And I want you to hear this as we get, into, get back into our passage now in Genesis 7. He does everything he's supposed to, he gets in, in verse 11 it says this, on that day, he's talking about the rain coming, 40 days, 40 nights, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and all the floodgates of heaven were opened. And so in this intensity for 40 days and 40 nights, water is coming from the bottom, water is coming from the top. Now, I heard on the news today that we have seven days without sun, and I almost started to cry. It says, hey, hey Wisconsin, we've got this next week. We're not going to see the sun except for maybe Monday. Make sure you get out there. I'm going to have, I'm going to be like in shorts and a t-shirt and like the, like the little reflector things because I'm a sun guy and I can't imagine 40 days of rain. It sounds like living in Seattle. Not interested. Rain, 40 days. Floodgates coming up. 
And these waters are now coming from the bottom and from the top. And water now, if you've ever been in any sort of floodplain, it's terrifying. Or if you've been around a river that starts to overflow when the current is too fast, it's terrifying you look at the power of water. Water is so much power behind it. And so water starts rising and water's coming from the top and people are running out of places to go. Naturally, let's just think what's happening. People are going to run to the high ground, get to where the water will stop. Like the water's going to stop. It's going to stop. And so you see screaming and yelling and families trying to keep themselves together. And they're pulling and they're pulling their animals and their cows and all, everything that they have and their little carts of possessions to try to get to high ground. But there is no high ground. Every time they go higher, the water keeps raising. And you're sitting in a boat listening to this. You're hearing the screams of the people. You're hearing the calls of people calling out to their gods. Save us, save us, save us. But those aren't real gods. There's wickedness. So let's just assume that in this wickedness that people are turning on each other. They're turning on each other for resources. They're going to Sam's Club and to Costco and buying all the toilet paper. It is bad. They are turning against each other. And in this huge situation, here sits Noah and his family saying, God, what are you doing? He built this ark. There were no power tools by hand. That is a big boat to build by hand. And so he has been preparing for this moment for so long. But as he's sitting there and it's happening, how would you feel? Put yourself back into that boat as this is happening, because now we pick up verses seven, verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 18 to 24. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to the depth of more than 15 cubits, or in our terminology, of more than 23 feet so that there's no way someone could stand and live. There's no ground to stand on. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that sw uh, swarm over the earth, and all of mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. 150 days of living in this boat. 150 days of saying, what's going to happen next? 150 days of animals. 150 days, that is half of a year. 150 days, you're sitting in this thing, wondering what is going to happen next. 150 days, is God ever going to bring land back? 150 days of being scared, of questions, of praying, of begging. If you've ever been in a bad situation in your life, which many of us have been, it's, it's crazy how even some of us who are struggling with our faith walk or people who don't necessarily don't even believe God will go to prayer when things get bad. That at that moment, all of a sudden, I believe that there's a higher power, there's a God, there's something that can help me. And I've seen the most non-quote-unquote religious or non-quote-unquote believers start to pray or ask me, Pastor, could you please pray for me? Because he listens to you and not to me. In those moments, we start to become so desperate that we call out to the maker and the creator 
But why does desperation cause us to go to our knees instead of just celebration of what he's doing? Why is it darkness that calls us to our knees to say, God, please help me? Why can't it be when things are good? Maybe that's part of the result of sin. That sin is continually clouding our views. Sin and hiding and guilt and shame keeps us from entering the presence of God because we feel that we're not worthy. Maybe guilt and shame puts us to say, you know what, I'm supposed to be in the water. I'm supposed to be eradicated. It is all my fault. I deserve to die. And if you believe that today, I'm going to tell you that's the beginning of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the beauty of Jesus Christ is that we are supposed to all go through that, but Christ took the punishment for us. So because Jesus died and took our punishment, your foot never touches water. Because Jesus Christ died for you, you're on the boat, and you don't deserve to be. Because Jesus Christ did all the punishment, took our death, took our shame, took our sin on his perfect back, we are floating along, and we're going to be saved. Even in Genesis, you see the story of Jesus. And if you are not enamored with the gospel, hopefully in some time here at Mosaic, you're going to fall more and more in love with the gospel because it's the good news that we were toast, but he saved us. That's why we exist. We were toast, but he saved us. It is so amazing when you take a second to think about it, because in our story of where we are today, everything is lost. Humanity is done. Animals are gone. It's what we deserve. Adam and Eve sinned. The punishment is death. The human race was so out of control, and now the world has fallen absolutely silent, except for a creak of a boat. Silent. There are no birds chirping. There are no dogs barking. There is no play. There is no laughter. There's no music. It's the creak of a boat. And now is the time we start to realize God's not done. Because the story could have ended there. But God's not done. Because of his mercy, he said, we're going to continue on. Because he's always leaving that remnant of hope, he says, I know what I built was good, but I've got to save that which I've created and so the life on the boat brings us into chapter 8, verses 15 to 22. Chapter 8, verses 15 to 22. 150 days Noah's been on this boat with his family. And we go forward here in our account. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful, increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed bird offerings on it. Side note, I assume that some of those birds replicated because he only brought two, so I think these are probably babies. That's a side note. Okay. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every incarnation of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I, as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. I want you to catch the verse because if you think 
that you are intrinsically good, which is a big belief in our world today, that humans are the greatest good. We are good, therefore we dictate good. I want you to read this verse again. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Just be around a two-year-old for a while. You understand what that means? Never again will I distort all living creatures as I've done. He didn't have to say that. But Noah gets off this boat, and he starts worshiping God for saving him and his family. And he says, okay, I'm going to make a promise. This is not going to happen again. His worship changes everything. Now, we are the recipients of the fact that this isn't something we have to be afraid of or something we have to fear. Because in verse chapter 9, verses 12 to 16, God makes a promise or a covenant. And a covenant is an agreement between two people that's often signified by a symbol. And for marriage, is probably the easiest covenant that we know about. We symbolize that with the symbol of a ring. The ring is a reminder of, the, of the, what we shared with each other, the agreement that we had with each other. That is covenant. And so a covenant now is made between man and God. Chapter 9, verses 12 to 16, he says this. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. When you see a rainbow that comes in the sky when you're out, it stops you in your tracks. Like, ooh, right? Everyone pulls out their phone. I see it all over your Instagram. It's awesome. And when we see the rainbow in the sky, we see it often and we logically move to the point of this is what happens in nature when sun reflects off of blah, 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 blah. Understood. Great story. But here's something that's true. When you see the rainbow in the sky, it is a covenant that when it rains, don't be afraid. I'm not going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. In fact, what we're finding out now is that God is going to eradicate sin for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Because when Noah got on the boat and Noah gets off of the boat, sin continues with him. And because we are here today, we are somehow a descendant of one of those families, Noah, obviously Noah, you have the three sons. We are now moved down this chain in which all of the population is refilled on the earth. And this is now happening through this context that God's mercy said, I'm not going to do this again, even though in the year 2023, we deserve it. We deserve it. What we deserve is death because we have sinned. You have sinned. So now all of a sudden, no big deal has become a huge, huge problem and a huge, huge deal. And how do we know sin continued with Noah? We see the promise in the sky. God says, I'm never going to do this. We're good. But we have a problem because in chapter 9, we see something very unique. And this is how this whole story ends. Sometimes in the scriptures, like that is a very odd way to end this. And this is one of those situations. So Noah gets off the boat, he starts repopulating, things are great, he plants a vineyard, he makes wine, and he gets hammered. He gets so drunk that he is buck naked in his tent. 
So he drank, 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 and I don't know how he got dressed, but he is naked in this tent. And so his son sees him, his youngest son sees him, and he goes out to tell his brothers. Now, we don't know what he tells his brothers, but if he's the youngest son, he's probably making jokes, right? So I don't know. Like, hey, dad's naked in the tent, whatever. So he goes out. The two sons then go, they take a cloth, and they walk backwards into his tent not to see him in his shame. And they walk backwards so not to look at him, and they lay uh, cloth over him. They cover him so that he is not seen. And then Noah comes out of his drunken stupor, and he now says, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to do. The youngest one, you're going to be cursed. (laughs) I'm cursing you because you looked at me and probably made fun of me. You too, I'm going to bless you. And that's how the story ends. Sin came with the boat. Noah made a vineyard. He made some wine. Nothing wrong with wine. Nothing wrong with vineyards. He got drunk. He's buck naked. Sin came on the boat. He cursed his son. Sin came on the boat. And now sin is starting its cycle again. It ends oddly, but it gives us a huge warning sign, friends, that sin is still continuing and it's going to continue until God does something that only God can do. He has to eradicate either us or he has to have an answer for sin. There's two options. Either end creation or you find an answer to sin. And this story today gives us a huge warning sign and it gives us such an unbelievable opportunity to look at sin through the perspective of God. Sin is nothing to be played with. It is not a joke. It is not, uh, not a big deal. Sin is going to cost God everything to fix the problem. And it's going to cost him giving his perfect son to come and die in your place. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 sums it up so good. I mean, this is the perfect verse for us today. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me say it again. If you've never memorized this first, this is the one to memorize, guys. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What you deserve, what you've earned is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the answer. God has given an answer. There is an answer to the problem because though sin is continuing, Jesus now forgives us of all of it. And what's so crazy when you read the Bible is that you're gonna see that God counts us as righteous So what that means is he sees you as sinless because of Jesus Christ, because he's paid all the sins you have done, all the sins you're doing right now, and all the sins you're about to do later today. They are covered from all eternity when you call on Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's it. All you gotta do is ask, God save me. That's it. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the one who answered the problem and eradicated sin for us. And then when we read and we get to the end of the book in Revelation, at the end in Revelation, Jesus comes back as a king in which sin is eradicated. All of sin is wiped out forevermore and we go back to be with our king. The Garden of Eden is restored. And from Genesis to Revelation, the beauty of the Bible is that it's telling the story of God and man and how God is putting up with our nonsense and all of our problems and all of our mess because he loves us and we're his image bearers. Friend, Noah's Ark can be a traumatizing story if you hear it in a certain light. It is terrifying, but we should have a holy fear of God. But we should not have a fear of this happening again because he's made a covenant. And when you see that rainbow, remember God's mercy on us. And now 
and we are now in the post-Jesus age, and we are in the AD age, and we know what God's story is. Now you have an answer to that when you call on him as your Savior. Let our knees bow, not when only things are hard, but let us knees bow today for the joy that we can have that God saved a wretch like me and you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.